bringing you the latest research, tools, and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy. It's Talk Healthy Today. Here's Lisa Davis. I'm so excited to have Brian Cuban back on the program. He's a great guy. We're going to talk about his book, Shattered Image, My Triumph Over Body Dysmorphic Disorder. Hi, Brian. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing great, thanks. Good. I've been having so much fun checking you out. You're all over the place in the media and on Twitter, and I just, I'm really happy for you. I'm so glad you're getting this message out. It is so important. Well, I was a very shy child. Uh... There was a lot of fat shaming in my household. My mom would call me a fat pig and things like that. And that was, she had that done to her by her mom. You know, these things are often generational. And obviously, you know, you're a 10 or 11-year-old little boy. That had quite an effect on me, and I became depressed, probably had clinical depression back then, and began to eat more. And as I ate more, I gained weight, and I became an obese child. And when that had, you know, as I got bigger... Uh, the bullying started at school over my weight, and it got to the point where I was actually physically assaulted. Uh, I had some kids rip my pants off me walking home from school because they looked funny on my big body and throw them into the street, forcing me to walk home in my underwear. And that obviously had quite an effect on me. It kind of played a pivotal role in how I would see myself in the future as a fat, bullied little boy who couldn't stand up for himself. And that basically morphed into body dysmorphic disorder, which resulted in 27 years of eating disorders, first anorexia, then bulimia. And for a male, as you know, that can be, it's shameful for both sexes, but for a male, it's a whole different thought process and incredibly shameful. It's not something we talk about today, which is one of the reasons I wrote Shattered Image. And it wasn't just eating disorders. It, It morphed into drug addiction, cocaine and alcoholism, steroid addiction, and eventually a near-suicide attempt, two trips to a psychiatric facility, three failed marriages, one more, I get a free set of steak knives. <laughs> and it was all, you know, all these terrible things, and that's how I responded to it. You know, Brian, when you, when you talked about your mom, I just, I feel so bad for you because you had to, you know, you have this bullying going on at home, and then you have this bullying in a way, right, the fat shaming from your mother, And I, you know, what what was going on with me is I was having the bullying over being uncoordinated and skinny and just gawky and frizzy haired and the whole nine yards. And then my mother, I had a big nose and my mother would be like, oh, you've got these big, beautiful eyes and this beautiful face, but that nose, you know, you should get your nose fixed. And I'm like, seriously? So I have to get teased at school and then I come home and I don't have a mother who says you're beautiful the way you are, but I should have plastic surgery. I'm 14, you know, so I... I relate to that pain of getting it on both ends. And my mother was bullied by her mother, right? So it's passed down. Sure. And I think it was, it's important to point out that I don't blame my mother. It's not sure. a natural fault. My mother responded with the tools that she was given. Exactly. And, you know, it, it was more about, unfortunately, I was genetically inclined to, you know, respond to what she said in a certain way. Not all children will respond that way, although the words are terrible regardless. And my mother was actually a pivotal uh, influence in my recovery. I was very lucky because she was willing to explore what happened with me and talk to me about how she was raised. And once I got an understanding of that, I was able to forgive her and move forward with her in my recovery. A lot of families don't have that. A lot of families, there's denial, there's pain. The parents don't want to face that. They don't want to admit, you know, in their minds that they failed in some way. And it's not about failure. 
it's about understanding. It's about recovery. And, and I feel bad when I hear uh, teens, uh, adults talk about how today they still don't have these conversations with their parents. Their, their parents don't know about the eating disorders because there's so much shame and there's so much conflict. And for me, getting to the root of that shame and conflict was key in my recovery. What advice do you have for people who are not getting the support from their parents who were fat shaming or like my mom or, you know, doing other things that were making their kids feel bad? How did they, they still need to heal, but they're going to have to just accept that they're not going to get that from their parents? What, what's your no. advice? Well, there's always support. I mean, it, it all starts, it all starts with figuring out how you got there. Okay, maybe you're not at a point in recovery where you can have that conversation with your parents. Maybe you'll never be able to have it. I don't know. Every situation's different. But you can get support. There's all kinds of support out there if you're willing to drop that shame for a second and let people help you. There, there are groups. There are support groups. There's, there's all kinds of support on the Internet that you can find. There are, there's counseling options. There's treatment options that didn't exist when I was going through this back in the baby boomer era. There are people that will love you and want to help you. You have to reach out and find them, though. They don't know you're there. Yeah, that's a good point. One of the things that guys and women tell me all the time when I tell my story, when they, and they say, Brian, I thought I was the only one. Thank you for telling it. Now I know I'm not alone. And you're not alone. That's the hardest part to get through, the feeling that you are all alone. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I know. And, and that's what's so sad. So for people, though, Brian, who aren't familiar with, you know, the differences, I, mean, I think a lot of people know the differences between anorexia and bulimia, but what exactly is body dysmorphic disorder? Body dysmorphic disorder, in the way I experienced it, I'm not a doctor, so I don't try to give a clinical definition, Sure, is when you take a small or even non-existent defect in your body that you imagine you have, and you exaggerate it to the point where it affects your ability to function, quote, normally, unquote, in life. Uh, for instance, for me, it was my stomach because my mom had told me I was, you know, a fat pig and the kids bullied me over my weight. Every time I looked in the mirror, there would be this overpowering feeling, this overwhelming feeling that I had this huge, huge stomach no matter how thin I got. Mm. And so while I was starving myself, losing all this weight, I still saw this fat, bullied little boy in the mirror. And so I would continue to starve myself more, or then I would become bulimic. And, but, you know, then I became bulimic, thinking that would change things, but no, it didn't. Then, it, then I turned to drugs, thinking that would change what I saw in the mirror, and it didn't. So and for other people, it's plastic surgery. I did that, too. I had, I had plastic surgery until I went broke. And the only reason I didn't get any more plastic surgery is because I didn't have any more money. <laughs> and didn't have any more credit. <laughs> yes, that can be addictive as well. That's right, and, and I did. I became addicted to plastic surgery, not for the surgery itself, but for looking for ways to fix this deformed figure I saw in the mirror from my body dysmorphic disorder. And you still saw those, you, even after the surgeries, after the weight loss, you still saw that same image of the heavy little boy, right? Or, Absolutely. You, still wow. saw that bullied, fat little boy in the mirror. So it's, what can I do to fix that? And you end up cycling through what I call a behavior wheel, all these destructive behaviors, because you're unable, you don't have the self-awareness to step back from it and say, wait a minute, that's not who I am. That's not what defines me. And that's tough to do that when you're right in the middle of it. And many people like I did need help. I, I went into the counseling. I'm still in counseling today, once a week. I take medication for my depression and for my uh, 
obsessive compulsive disorder, which is part of body dysmorphic disorder. And you know, I'm still recovering. Every day is a lifetime in itself where I try to make another little stride towards loving myself, seeing that Brian in the mirror that it's okay to see, and being having the self-awareness to know that a shy, it's okay to be shy. It's okay to be different in body, in spirit, in you know how we you know how we look to others. People have their own problems. What you project on them, ninety nine percent of the time, is not what they're thinking about you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's so tough true. to come to terms with that, and it takes a lot of self awareness to come to terms with that. Yeah, it really does. Well, this 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 happened for you starting in two thousand and seven, correct? That's when things started turning around. Yes, that is when I started make, moving into recovery, and the, 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 the linchpin, the moment of clarity, was my second trip to a psychiatric facility when I was st- after I had had a two-day drug and alcohol-fueled blackout and had been unfaithful to my girlfriend during that, and I'm standing in the parking lot of that psychiatric facility, and I'm like, wow, you know, I don't have, not only do I don't think I'll have another trip back here, I'll be dead, uh, I really felt I was about to lose my family. And that terrified me more than even uh, the suicidal thoughts because our father had raised myself and my two brothers growing up all the time. He said, brothers, 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 no matter where you go, no matter what you do, always stick together, always love each other, always always comfort each other in times of needs, always know when the other, what the other is doing. Make that call no matter where you go. And our father was the middle of three brothers, and that's the way he was with his. Mm-hmm. And standing in that parking lot, I, was, I felt in my gut that I was in danger of losing that with my, with my family. Because family will love you unconditionally, but there are, well, you hope they will, but there are going to be limits on their willingness to see you destroy yourself if you are not going to put yourself in a position to recover. And I felt, you know, in the distance, because they have kids, they have families. My, my brothers don't want some untreated drug addict around their kids. I wouldn't want me around their kids either. Or somebody who wasn't dealing with their eating disorders and whatever that comes sure. with. Sure. They didn't even know about those eating disorders. Yeah, I was going to ask, did they know? No, I no, I was so ashamed. I'd rather admit I was a cocaine addict than I had an eating disorder. Wow. I, I came clean with all that stuff. I didn't come clean with my eating disorder until 2008 even though I'd been in recovery for a year. What was their reaction? Were they surprised? Yes, I, I think there was some surprise, but it was support. It was support. Good. It was total support, what I wanted. When I came clean to my father, finally, about all that was going going on, I got the support that I wanted back when I was 13, but was too ashamed to tell him, because as a 13-year-old boy, your mom's saying these things to you. You know, your father and your mother are that sense of security sleeping next door to you that nothing can hurt you, not, you know, that unconditional trust and love that nothing can touch you. And no 13-year-old boy wants to lose that, so you're not going to tell your father these things. You know, in, in the mind of a 13-year-old boy, you're, I was afraid I was going to get kicked out of the house. He's married to my mom. You know, who's going to love me? Who's going to support me? How will I live? Who will, who will clothe and shelter me? So you keep it to yourself as a little boy, and you don't tell anyone, certainly not your father. And you know what? When I finally when I finally went over to my father's house and told him everything, the response was, Brian, and this is now a 75-year-old man, the response was, Brian, I love you. Move in with me. We'll get through this. I got the response from my father that I had wanted back then. That is so nice. You know, I have to ask, when your mother was fat-shaming, did he ever intervene or... 
He didn't know anything about it. Oh, okay. He didn't know anything about it, and I wasn't about to tell him because, as I said, I was afraid of the re- I was afraid of the response. You got to remember, this was a different time. This was 1970. You know, this is 1971. This is a different time, different culture, different way of looking at things, and uh, you didn't have words like fat shaming, bullying was brick and mortar bullying. We didn't have the internet. Oh yeah. You know, bullying bullying back then was you know going viral back then was ten kids knew about it in the lunchroom. Exactly. So it was just a different time, and there were no resources. There was no such thing as eating disorders that was was publicized. This was, you know, years before Karen Carpenter's death would bring it into the national spotlight. Just for for women, you know, and for a guy, forget it. Uh, what was the hardest part to recover from? I mean, was it harder with the eating disorders or versus the drug the, addiction, the or was disorders it in the body dysmer- That's what I would think. Yeah. Those were much harder than the addict, than the drug addiction and alcoholism. Wow. Because those were directly related to how I saw myself. Okay? As my body image got better, I did not see the need any longer to change my personality with, with artificial substances. So those urges went away. But the thought, the eating disorder thoughts are still with me, even now. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I, I still have bulimic thoughts. I still have body dysmorphic thoughts. But what has changed is how I process those. And when you were in the midst of all this, before you got help, did you, do people realize they have a problem? And I guess it depends on the person. But I, I, it seems like a lot of people, if they have an eating disorder, they're kind of like everybody else is nuts. I'm fine. They should just well, leave me alone. You, or how I mean, is it? Do, do, yeah, you do develop a, you know, as you go through it and it gets worse and worse, and the two worlds you create, the functioning person that you don't want every that you want everyone to see, versus the person going through all these problems. As those problems get worse and worse, and the worlds collide, you're forced to deal with it. I see. Uh, I mean, for the drug addiction and for the alcoholism, it was clear I had a problem. Uh, for the eating disorders, it took me a longer time to come to terms with that, because the shame was much greater even than the uh, the, the addictions. The shame overpowered the the shame of the eating disorder overpowered the shame of the addictions. Oh. So it took me much longer to come to terms with the fact that I actually had an eating disorder. Well, we need to take a break. We'll be back in a moment with more from Brian Cuban. Stay tuned. I am so excited to tell everyone about That's It Veggie Bars. I have been a fan of their fruit bars, and now I absolutely love their veggie bars. And here's why. Number one, they are so incredibly delicious, and they have bean and corn, beans and carrot, beans and peas, and they're really, really delicious. They have this satisfying crunch that I just love that was totally unexpected. And it kind of reminds me of a Rice Krispie Treat, and it's really, really good. So I encourage everyone to check them out. That's it, Veggie Bar. And when they say that's it, that really mean that's it. So you're getting wonderful beans and wonderful vegetables. It's such a great way to get a serving into your family, get a serving of vegetables into yourself, four grams of fiber, non-GMO, gluten-free, the whole kit and caboodle. Check these out. You can go to that'sit.com. Again, that'sit.com. You can use the code TALKHEALTHY. Again, use the code TALKHEALTHY for 10% off. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. You're listening to It's Your Health. I've been speaking with Brian Cuban about his fantastic book, Shattered Image, My Triumph Over Body Dysmorphic Disorder. Brian, welcome back. Thank you. All right. Well, Brian, tell us what's going on with you now. Well, I'm out speaking. I speak to colleges. I speak to uh, groups about my recovery. I speak about breaking the male eating disorder stigma. I speak about breaking the 
uh, body image stigma, and I, I basically travel around the country speaking about shattered image. I'm also working on my next book. It is called Finding Your True Self in the Midst of Chaos. It's about how to stay true to yourself and when your whole world is out of control and how to find your ide- true identity when you've lost it. For instance, one of the things that I didn't talk about shattered I- in Shattered Image that I'll talk about in my new book is what I call name fame. The effect of fame in family, and as a lot of people know, my brother is Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavericks and Shark Tank and all that. And I talk about how that, his celebrity, affected me not having an identity of my own. Mm. And when I was going through all these problems, when all of a sudden, wow, my last name is known. And when you don't have an identity of your own, okay, I'll become that. I'll become Mark Cuban's brother because I'll be attractive. The girls who, in my mind, always rejected me will now like me. People will buy me drinks. People will do this. Why not just be that instead of being my own person? In, in the road that took me down. And, and it's not just fame. I think people, siblings, there are a lot of different uh, scenarios where siblings can identify with rivalry and people who become more successful and how that affects people and, and their personalities. Well, talk to us a little bit about how, just give us a little hint. How did that affect you, having your brother be so... It had a terrible effect on me, and I stress it's not Mark's fault. Of course not. It, it, is, what I, it is what I took from what he was doing to create a fake identity of my own that made me feel empowered and made me feel good, you know, about all these things I was going through. It, it, it incredibly accelerated my drug use and wow. my, my alcoholism. And when, uh, is, and when is this coming out, Brian? It will be out sometime in two, 2015. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I think a lot of people can, will be able to identify with a lot of the situations I talk about in the book. Like Shattered Image, it will be anecdote-based storytelling, and I'll tell stories about, you know, just more about self-image and overcoming these issues and sibling rivalry and a lot of those types of things. Oh, that's great. And I know you have some other things coming up as well. Yes, I'm, I am emceeing a, an event in New York City. If you live in New York City, I am emceeing the Project Heal Gala. Project Heal is an organization that provides treatment scholarships to those who cannot afford eating disorder treatment. A young organiza- an organization started by two great young women, and the event is a cocktail and dessert event, so you don't have to dress up, and you can go to theprojectheal.org, I think it's .org, uh, or .com, <laughs> mm-hmm. and get ticket information about it. It's a great event for a great cause, and I'll be emceeing that event, telling some jokes, and, uh, and having a good time. Oh, that's fabulous. Was there anything else you wanted to add today, Brian? I wanted to add that for those who are listening to this and they're going through this, whether you're an adult, whether you're a teen, or whether you're a child, remember that it's normal to feel the shame about these things, about the body image. It's normal to feel that no one understands. It's normal to feel that you're all alone. The hardest part is just dropping that wall that you put up to protect yourself for one second, just for one little second, and let someone help you. Let someone love you. And then just stop right there. Take a breath. Realize that the world has not collapsed, that that people will not shame you. They just want to help you. And then take another step. And then another and another. These tiny little steps. It's called recovery. Recovery is a process. I'm still in recovery. But I'm 53 years old, and you can do it. You know, don't wait 
don't wait as long as I did. Start now and let someone help you. Such great advice. Brian, give us all the ways we can find you. Uh, you can buy my book. Uh, you can you can find me on uh, briancuban.com. I have a website where I write about a lot of these issues. Uh, my book, Shattered Image, is available on Amazon.com, not in bookstores, either Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. And I'm B. Cuban on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, and B. Cuban on Facebook. You can find me where I write and talk about all of these issues. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa, for having me and allowing me to talk about these important issues. I think it's important for people to speak up if you're ready to do that. If you're not ready to do that, just work on your recovery. I agree. Thanks again. Thank you, Lisa.